Kia ora and welcome to Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, the podcast. Tēnā koutou, kia ora koutou katoa. Hello and welcome to everyone. I'm Professor Jennifer Windsor, Pro-Vice-Chancellor of Humanities, Social Sciences and Education at Victoria University of Wellington. In the September election, there is a non-binding referendum alongside the usual vote for New Zealand political leaders. We will be asked to decide the question of whether recreational use of cannabis should become legal, the proposed Cannabis Legalisation and Control Bill. Now, the referendum has generated media and public interest from both those in support and those against legalisation and regulation. Like many contemporary debates, this is more complicated than it appears at first blush. To help identify key issues behind the referendum and provide some context, I've asked Associate Professor Fiona Hutton to sit down with me and answer some of the questions that we've been hearing within the university community. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you, Jennifer. Kia ora. Now, currently in New Zealand, unauthorised possession of cannabis is a crime, noting that this does not include medical cannabis for people who are terminally ill. Not all cannabis legalisation approaches are the same. So let me dive right into our conversation and start by asking you to outline the main elements of the government's proposed bill. The draft bill that's been released is a weighty tome that I have on the desk in front of me here. So I'll try and summarise just the key aspects of the bill. Um, I think what's really important is that an objective of the bill is explicitly stated as aiming to reduce cannabis-related harm to individuals, families, whānau and communities um, through the provisions of the bill. Sale will be restricted to adults 20 years and over. Cannabis will only be able to be bought in specific licensed retail premises. People have licenses, their products are approved, they're standardised, they're clearly labelled and so on. No advertising of these products will be allowed. And I think that's a bit of a learning from the US legalization markets. We don't want to go down that commercialization model that the US has gone down. So there's very strict controls over advertising of cannabis products, which is a really good thing, particularly to young people um, and so on. Use will be restricted to private homes or again, particular specified places for people who are unable to consume at home, such as people who are renting or sharing accommodation and so on. There's going to be limits on the amount of THC, which is basically the stuff that makes you high in the products that are going to be on sale. Higher potency products are more associated with mental health issues, particularly amongst adolescents. So we want to try and have a cap on the potency of products that are available. So I guess those are some of the key issues about the sale. In terms of criminalisation, it's really important that young people who are caught in possession legal of unauthorised cannabis or cannabis from um, suppliers, they won't be criminalised as they are currently. So I think that's really, really important that young people won't be criminalised um, who are under 20 for possession um, and use. So it is indeed quite a specific type of approach to legalisation. Why is this bill being proposed now? 
Well, I think um, globally we've seen a number of reforms to drug laws that have gone back to the early 2000s. Portugal sort of quite famously now is often talked about in 2001, it decriminalised all use and possession of all drugs and implemented a health-based approach, which has been wildly successful, should we just say. And places like Uruguay, 11 states so far in the US have legalised cannabis. Canada, of course, legalised cannabis in 2018. So there's a real recognition and a, a huge body of evidence that demonstrates what we're doing at the moment doesn't work. It doesn't stop people from doing drugs. It doesn't stop drugs being available. It doesn't stop drugs being available to young people. And it doesn't address any of the harms related to drug use. And also prohibition itself causes harms in terms of criminalising people for what are minor um, infractions of the law. So I think there's a real recognition in New Zealand and in other countries that we really need to have a different approach because what we're doing isn't working. So is it fair to say that the proposed bill is a shift in thinking to a more health-based position around cannabis use? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's a bill that's based in harm reduction, in public health, in trying to sort of health not handcuffs um, is one of the campaigns around it. So let's treat drugs and drug use and addiction as health issues Let's not criminalise people, stigmatise them, make it harder for people to ask for help and so on. So, yes, it's a shift in thinking to a health-focused approach to drug use. So what would a legal regulated market look like in New Zealand? And will the illegal market for cannabis disappear? Well, I think the legal regulated market will look something like quite boring shops, that are licensed to sell cannabis products to adults over 20 only. Their products will be consistent, standardised, labelled, like any other products that you would see. Um, the example of alcohol, if you went into an off-licence, you have the number of standard drinks on the label, you have the percentage of alcohol that's in a particular product, um, you have clear labelling of what it contains and so on. So this will be the same with cannabis products. So people will be able to go in and know how much THC, so the, the psychoactive stuff or the stuff that makes you high, um, is in a cannabis product and they can choose to have the lower end of the scale or the higher end of the scale, whatever they're accustomed to. And there'll be people on hand to give, you know, advice and information and so on about, you know, use of cannabis, um, the effects of particular products and so on. And also to give harm reduction advice and information as well. So can you compare what the sale of cannabis would look like compared to the packaging and the sale of cigarettes? Well, I think in a way it will be very similar to the current very strict restrictions on tobacco. In terms of cannabis in particular, people under 20 years of age won't be allowed to enter the licensed premises where cannabis products are sold. License holders, so the people selling them, would have to display and provide information on minimising the harms associated with cannabis use, for example. There'll be restrictions on the display of high potency products and they'll have to meet things like host responsibility requirements, including the management of people who are impaired. The 
proposed regime would place restrictions on the appearance of cannabis retail and consumption premises, focusing on not enticing customers, not being attractive to young people, prohibiting customers from having direct access to products prior to purchase and keeping cannabis products from the public view. So there'll be lots of restrictions around who can see cannabis products, who can actually go into these premises and access cannabis products. And then even around accessing the cannabis products, there's particular restrictions around, you know, harm minimization and so on. So indeed a regulated market. Yes. Yeah. Do you think the illegal market will disappear? I think there's the potential, shall we just say, for the illegal market to disappear as it becomes undermined by the legal regime that's proposed in this particular bill for New Zealand. I think it will be a slow process, though. It's not going to disappear overnight. For example, in Canada, they've found that approximately half of the people who use cannabis access legal cannabis. So there's still quite a lot of people who are accessing the illegal market. Now, I think in Canada in particular, there was problems with undersupply of the legal market because they didn't anticipate how high the demand would be. Um, so there's been some issues there. So I think the illegal market won't disappear overnight but I think it will start to gradually reduce. There's some people probably who are not interested at all in engaging with the legal cannabis market, and they will be the people who will stick to, you know, perhaps growing their own if they've done that for the last 30 years or something. Well, why would they go and buy it from a, a government-approved um, place? Do you think there are risks around people who are younger with the illegal market? In terms of adolescent use and young people under 20, they're one of the most vulnerable groups to the harms associated with cannabis use. So early onset use, so using early, you know, 13, 14, 15 years of age, using high potency products, using very frequently, so heavy use. Those are the sort of key sort of risk factors for adolescent use that have been associated with later mental health problems and so on. And I say associated with, not caused by. So I think that's an important thing to say. So in terms of young people, one of the reasons for introducing this bill I think, is to try and confound the illegal market so the illegal market is less available to young people. And also one of the arguments around that is if we have a legal market, then if there is any sort of seepage of the legal market to underage people, then they will be accessing consistent proved government products, if you like, rather than accessing them through the illegal market. So I think there's lots of reasons why this bill will protect young people and keep them away from the illegal market. You talked a little bit earlier about how cannabis infractions can affect people's lives. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some examples of that to help us fully understand it? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, at the moment I'm involved in a research project that's asking people about the effects that drug convictions like for cannabis possession have had on their lives. And what they say about that is really quite telling. So this is a quote from someone who um, was a young man. He was 18 at the time and he got a conviction for um, cannabis possession. So for minus cannabis possession. And he says, I was broken for quite a long time. I left the country for seven years. I was always living with that in the background. But when I went away, I didn't have to talk about it. No one knew about it. I didn't have to live with it in the same way. So he was saying how the stigma of having a conviction of the way the police treated him um, really affected his life. Um, he's over that now, he's in his 50s now, and he still uses cannabis. So it didn't deter him from using cannabis. And this is the story from a young woman who was 18 when she got convicted for cannabis offences. And she says, you just carry this terrible shame. Not only had I let my parents down, I'd let down my friends and their parents and the whole school and the community. It was a very shameful thing. There was no difference between pot and a heroin addict. You're just a drug addict kind of thing. And so my parents found it really hard. Back then it was quite shocking for my parents and their shock kind of impacted on our shame. So she also talks about how the, the kind of stigma of it affected her life. It affected travel. She would often be pulled off planes and, you know, searched. And in one horrible occasion, she was strip searched coming back to, to New Zealand from the UK and transiting in America. So it can have all kinds of sort of traumatic, sort of the ripples of the convictions that people have, sort of the consequences ripple through people's lives for quite a long while. So I think just from those, we can see how devastating having a, a conviction for cannabis offences can be and the effects that can be impacting on people's lives. And I should also say that in New Zealand and in other countries, particular groups bear the brunt of criminalisation for drugs offences. So Maori are massively overrepresented in drug statistics as they are in all criminal justice statistics in New Zealand. So I think in terms of legalising cannabis in the New Zealand context would be really helpful and it would stop criminalising particular sections of the population. So you've talked about stigma and shame and disproportionate effects on different populations. So the concern that's often raised about cannabis legalization is that it will increase harm, whether that's drug-impaired driving, cannabis use in the workplace, or drug use increasing among adolescents that you have talked a little bit about. Can you talk to these types of concerns about harm? Mm, I can, and I think they're very real um, and understandable concerns that people have, and I don't think that we need to dismiss those sorts of concerns in talking about these issues in the New Zealand context. What I would say is, particularly around things like drug-impaired driving and use in the workplace, it's already here. Yeah, Voting yes to legalise cannabis is not suddenly going to magic up 
drug impaired driving or drug use in the workplace. We already have drug impaired driving and we already have drug use in the workplace. So I think that's the first important thing to say. And people are impaired by all kinds of drugs. So medications that they receive from their doctors, opiate-based medications, painkillers, some anti-epileptic medications can affect, impair people and affect their driving ability. So I think that's the first thing that we should say is that we have all kinds of drugs, legal and illegal, that can impair us either driving or at work. So drug impaired driving is already here. Now the question is, what do we want to do about it? If we have a legal market, we can properly educate people, we can have information campaigns, we can have proper education programs to try and address those issues, rather than leaving it in an illegal market where we can't address those things properly. The evidence for traffic fatalities and drug impaired driving in the US notes that traffic fatalities actually decreased following the institution of medical cannabis laws, which have been around in some US states since the 1990s. So when they first came in, traffic fatalities decreased and increased following legalization of non-medical cannabis. So the increases were quite minor and they lasted no more than a year. And they also mirrored changes in states without legalization. So this is the one of the complexities when we're trying to look at these issues is how much is it actual trends that are just carrying on regardless of legalization or not legalization and how much are they affected by legalization or not legalization. So it's quite a complex issue really. A recent Canadian study, though, found there was no association between responsibility for crashes and levels of THC in people's blood. So there's kind of conflicting evidence from different places. And I suppose what we can say is there hasn't been dramatic increases in fatal crashes related to cannabis impairment in the States or in Canada from the evidence that we have. And an important thing to note here is the issue of when people are tested following accidents, are we testing for the presence of cannabis or are we actually testing for impairment? And I think this is a really key issue. So I might have smoked a joint at the weekend and had a little accident on a Wednesday morning on my way to work. So am I impaired? And would we say the same if I'd had a glass of wine on Saturday night and had an accident on Wednesday? Would I be considered to be impaired because of alcohol use? Um, Obviously, it's a little bit different with alcohol use because we can measure people's blood levels and we know the level for impairment and so on. So I think that's a really important question to consider. So you've already talked about some of the positive effects of legalization in terms of reducing stigma and providing more opportunities for education are there other positive uh, effects of legalization that you think might occur i think in terms of the way that we approach drugs in our society and reducing stigma I think legalization could be very positive there. And I also think in terms of young people, educating young people, if cannabis had legal status, it would open the door to have much more sort of honest conversations with our young people around cannabis use. We could have information in schools, we could have harm reduction programs and so on. So I think that would be really positive. 
it would destigmatize the use of cannabis and it would also make it easier for people to get help. Um, stigma is a key barrier to people asking for help and getting treatment if they do have problems. One of the really positive outcomes that could happen from legalising cannabis or having a legal cannabis market is issues of justice and equity. So addressing the inequitable treatment of some populations through the application of drug laws and criminalisation could be a key harm that we could address if cannabis was made legal. And I think you mentioned at the very start the medical cannabis legislation that went through two years ago in New Zealand, I think. But that is very, very stringent. So it's limited to people who have a terminal illness, who have 12 months or less to live. So I think in a legal cannabis market, people who use it for medical purposes outside of terminal illness would really benefit from a legal market. And in fact, it's quite interesting in the States and in Canada, increases in cannabis use have been amongst older populations, so those over 45, which may possibly mask some medical use by older populations. So it's not the young people's use that's increasing. In fact, Canada's seen a huge drop in young people's use of cannabis, which is an ongoing trend, I should say, from about 2015. So legalisation hasn't interfered with that youth drop. It hasn't suddenly risen again. But where we do see rises, it's in the adult population and often in older populations. And what do you think could be any downside of the proposed bill? I, along with other academics in my field and people in public health and so on, we're very, very wary of a commercialised cannabis market, similar to big alcohol, big tobacco, who gained a lot of power and influence in terms of policy, in terms of liberalising alcohol laws, for example, in the 1980s. So I would really like to see even tighter controls around commercialisation. And I think that's a key concern for lots of people. I mean, the bill tries to address those things and it's got a cap on the amount of the production of cannabis that you can control as one company. So if we had a company, we'd only allow to control a maximum of 20% of the market. And there's also provisions that haven't been there in other countries that are quite encouraging for, you know, small growers. So for diversity in the market. So I think that's a good thing. And I think the government are really cognizant of that problem that could happen with commercialization. And I think we see that in the US. I'm interested when you say that as an academic staff member, you're particularly concerned about this or particularly worried. Mm -hmm. Is there something about your research or other kinds of information that make you more worried about this than others might be? I think it's the lessons learned from alcohol in particular, because that's another one of my areas of research and expertise. And I think the way that the alcohol market was allowed to develop, shall we just say, created some of the harms around alcohol. So we have, you know, the pinking of alcohol products to appeal to women. We have alcopops and RTDs to appeal to young people and so on. A cannabis market needs to be tightly controlled so that we don't see this kind of commercialization. And I think what 
set is being set out in the bill is really positive because that's the stance that they're taking you know no advertising no sort of gaudy shop fronts advertising deals or special offers or anything like that this won't be allowed under this bill but that's still a kind of niggle in the back of your mind and i suppose in a way it's it has to be attractive the legal cannabis market for people to invest i mean it's it's a difficult question i think Mm. yeah Cannabis possession has been decriminalised in several countries, including parts of Australia, and possession is also legal in a few countries, such as Canada, as you've mentioned. So are there other things beyond what you've said that we know about the impact of legalisation on cannabis use in frequency of use or other segments of the population using cannabis that are positive or negative impacts? Overall, in particular data from the US that has had legalisation for longer than anyone else, um, I'll talk about legalisation because that's what we're voting on in New Zealand in particular and leave decriminalisation to one side. But in the US, there's been a massive decrease in arrests, convictions for cannabis-related offences. So it's had a huge effect from that viewpoint. In Canada, for example, we talked about prevalence and use, and there isn't evidence at the moment that use is increasing amongst youth populations or amongst adolescent populations, which is really positive, bearing in mind there's been a decline in Canada in youth use since 2015, but legalisation hasn't had a spike in, in the rise in youth use, which is really positive. So in the United States, I mentioned legalisation is associated with rising adult use and in Canada, but not amongst young people. Heavy cannabis use is associated with greater psychosis risk only when use begins in adolescence. So it's quite critical to know that there's no compelling evidence that legalisation increases adolescence cannabis use. So... As a final question, you are known as a mythbuster in raising public awareness. What would be the biggest myths or misinformation that you would want to bring to light? The greatest myth of all about prohibition and our approach to drugs is that it stops people using drugs. It doesn't. The other greatest myth of all, if we can have more, is that it stops drugs being available. It doesn't. Those are two of the biggest myths around prohibition. Doesn't stop use, doesn't stop it being available. And I think it's also really important to say when people are thinking about voting in the referendum in September, that whether you vote yes or no, if you vote no in the referendum, This will not stop cannabis being available in New Zealand. This will not stop cannabis being available to people who are under 20 or under 18. Voting no won't protect young people. It will leave cannabis in the hands of the illegal market. There will be no controls over it. And as a campaign in the UK notes, drug dealers don't ask for ID. So important for people to be as informed as they can come September. Yeah, and I think that's all that I would ask of people is read the evidence, have a look at the evidence, think carefully about it, 
you know, if we reform our drug laws, it has the potential to be a game changer for our most vulnerable populations. And it has the potential to have really positive impacts on harms amongst cannabis users. So think really carefully about it. Have a look at the evidence. Stay away from that kind of fear mongering and sensationalism about these kinds of issues. And I think, to be honest, that putting out the draft bill that people are going to vote on has put pay to a lot of those fears because it's a clear health focused, harm reduction focused, tightly regulated regime that's being proposed. So all that kind of fear mongering about cannabis, gummy bears and lollipops and all this kind of nonsense, it's been put to bed, I think, by the proposed bill. So I would, I'd ask people to be informed, to educate yourselves and make your own decision about which way that you want to vote. Thank you very much, Fiona, for shedding light on a significant issue. I really appreciate it. Nami Mayoha. Kia To stay up to date with our latest podcasts, subscribe using your preferred podcast provider. Thank you to Te Koki School of Music alumni Stephen Patton and Kenyon Shanky for the use of their music. From Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, Haere rā.